Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, Pastor Wayne here from Summit Church of Douglas County. Glad you're here with me today. Hey, this is your five-minute warning. We're about to get started with church, but uh, just want to invite you to come to our Christmas Eve service at 5 p.m. on Friday, Christmas Eve. We're going to have Christmas carols and a cookie exchange and a special Christmas message on that day. We hope you can join us for that. Also, share this link with a friend. It's Pastor Wayne H. everywhere. It's on Facebook, YouTube, Periscope, Twitter, Twitch, LinkedIn, Instagram. Instagram. And today, hopefully, uh, it's also going to be on Rumble. So you can share this link with a friend. Let them know the church is about to get started. And um, this will be your five-minute countdown. So refill your coffee, get a Bible, get a notebook and a pen, invite a friend, and we'll see you in five minutes. I'd let you borrow my electric, but I don't have it here. Normally I have it in about to put out the candle.
chase down that another electric guitar. Yeah, no, I know. I mean, Johnny looked like Johnny left. Oh, okay. No problem. by the corner, yeah, kind of where they normally put it. We're going to cover the Christmas tree. <laughs> Alright, everybody. Good to see you. Merry Christmas. While they figure out the flag situation. <laughs> Why don't you guys stand with me? We're going to sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Anybody glad it's Christmas? Do you smell that smell in the air? That's frankincense. That's frankincense. If you totally hate it, you can put that cap on it. It'll kill it right away. But let's sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Ready? Hark the Herald Angels Sing Glory to the newborn King Peace on earth and mercy mild God and sinners Oh, 
Thanks for kids. That incense is good, but it's too much of a good thing right there. Woo! We can crack a door or a window if you need to. <laughs> Let's open with prayer. Father, thank you for the essence of worship and prayer and praise. God, we know that our prayers rise up to you like beautiful incense. And that, sound, that smell of frankincense was a gift to you on that very first Christmas. And so, Lord, we invite that sweetness of your presence to come into our hearts today, to this church, into our homes, to our jobs, to our relationships, and to all of our communication. May it all just be soaked with your love, with your peace, with your joy. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Come speak to us as we study your word and as we see that our, the time is short, that Jesus, you are coming soon. We're looking forward to that day when we'll no longer read about you, but Lord, we'll see you face to face even as you see us now. We love you, God. We give you the rest of this service. In Jesus' name. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin mother and child,
love this one. You know, when we've been studying Revelation, there are things that are happening up in heaven while things are happening down here on the earth. There are things that are happening in the spiritual realm that we can't see, and there are things that are happening on the earth that we can see. And what we see in the book of Revelation and Isaiah and Daniel and Jeremiah that there's four elders of the 24 elders and the four beasts around the throne and they say holy 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 is the lord god almighty the one who was and is and who is to come holy 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 the whole earth is full of your glory and they're proclaiming day and night all eternity long the holiness and the greatness of god and i just felt like you know with this revelation study and you know that it that heaven spilled down into earth on that first night in Bethlehem, the angels brought that message, that news to shepherds out in the field going, you won't believe it. <laughs> Hark the herald angels sing, born to you this day in the city of David, a Savior is born who is Christ the Lord. Amen. Amen. That sometimes heaven invades earth. And that's what we're looking for in worship. We want to enter into the very throne room of God and just let his presence soak in our lives. So this one is called Worthy of It All. I think you'll pick it up pretty fast if you haven't learned it before. All the saints and angels bow before your throne. All the Before the Lamb of God and sin, you are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things, to you are all things. You deserve the glory. Sing that again. You're worthy. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things. To you are all things. You deserve the glory. Sing that again from the top. All the saints and angels bow before your throne. Lamb of God and the same. You are 
incense rise Day and night, night and day let incense rise Day and night, night and day let incense rise Day and night, night and day let incense rise Day and night, night and day let incense Sing that again, day and night
Summit Church. Glad to see y'all here and and here. Uh, boy, what a nice season, isn't it? Uh, nothing like the Christmas season to celebrate the birth of our Savior. Amen, amen. Uh, today, the highlighted verse comes from uh, Amos chapter 9, verse... Verse 11 is where I'm going to start. It says, In that day I will restore the fallen house of David. I will repair its damaged walls. From the ruins I will rebuild it and restore its former glory. And Israel will possess what's left of Edom and all the nations I have called to be mine. The Lord has spoken and he will do these things. The time will come, says the Lord, when the grain and grapes will grow faster than they can be harvested. Then the terraced vineyards on the hills of Israel will drip with sweet wine. I will bring my exiled people of Israel back to the distant lands, and they will rebuild their ruined cities and live in them again. They will plant vineyards and gardens. They will eat their crops and drink their wine. I will firmly plant them there in their own land. They will never again be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. This scripture reminds me that that God is a God of his word. He stands on it. You can take it to the bank. That's right. Uh, And you know, this book is full of his promises. All we have to do is read it, find out what promises he has promised, and stand on them and take them to the bank. Amen. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Tim. You know, we we come to God not because we're such good people, but because he's the perfect one. The greatest gift that God ever gave us with Jesus. Amen. The Advent is... The coming, the coming of the Savior of the world. That God so loved you and me that he gave his very best. He gave us Jesus. And not because we deserve it, (laughs) but because he loves us. And he wanted to make a way to be forgiven, to be set free to have a friendship with him. And if all that weren't enough, we get a home forever in heaven. <laughs> we get to spend eternity with him. Amen. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Doing this revelation study, it's just been, I've been overwhelmed at times just reading and listening and going, wow, God, God, is that really true? Is that really true? It's really going to happen? It's really going to happen. 
I don't know if you're as amazed as I am by the grace of God, but if you are, would you sing with me? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace my fears relieved. How brave.
My chains are gone I've been set free My God, my Savior Has ransomed me someone nearby say hello give them knuckles or wave or do whatever you want to do and uh, greet someone in the Lord hey church online glad you're joining us here today Pastor Wayne here from Summit Church. Hey, would you um, support the ministry, partner with us? Go to mysummitchurch.com, click the donate button, or uh, just give us a like or subscribe on our Facebook page. You can text to give by texting this number, 303-625-9434. Enter the amount of your gift and press send and follow the prompts using your smartphone. 100% of what you give by text will go to the ministry. You can mail your gift to Summit Church, 200 South Wilcox Street, Box 243, Castle Rock, Colorado, 80104. We're going to get into our, the continuation of our Revelation study. So get your Bible out. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 14. We're going to learn a lot today. And uh, it's crazy times we're living in. So hope you can be a part of it and uh, get everything together. We'll see you in a second. Mess myself all up. Everybody, Merry Christmas! Glad you're joining us here online and in person. Good stuff here today, everyone. I have a Christmas challenge. Um, some of how many how many of you try to do what you can to support Salvation Army or the task force? You try to do some benevolent work around uh, Christmas time. Have a seat somewhere. Get comfortable. Al, will you help me with this? I have a little um, a pantry pantry shopping list 
from the Douglas County Task Force that I got uh, a couple weeks ago. Al, hey Al, will you help me with this? Well, I want to make sure everybody in the room gets one of these. You know, maybe you don't have money you can give this Christmas season. Maybe you don't have a lot extra. Over after tithes and offerings, you don't have much. Well, we just got this list from the Douglas County Task Force, the Help and Hope Center of Castle Rock. You, have you ever seen the Nine News Health Fair that they normally do? Have you noticed they canceled it since COVID? So they have not been getting the normal canned foods and uh, dry goods and all the groceries they normally get at this time of year. So I want to challenge you, church, that if you've got some of these extra in your pantry, or next time you go grocery shopping, will you pick up a couple items from this grocery list and let's try to bless the, the Douglas County Task Force. It's called the Help and Hope Center now of Castle Rock. And take a few spare, maybe put them in the info center in the back so people can grab them as they go. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. All right, appreciate it. And so make sure everyone gets a copy. If, we might have to share some of those, but anyway, that's very helpful because they are down on donations this year. So um, our church, we partner with Panera Bread two nights a week. We pick up the, the end-of-day donations from, from Panera. And families, of course, that need bread, we give them bread packs. Sometimes we give uh, bread packs to the Oyo Hotel, which is kind of the, the emergency housing shelter in Castle Rock, and every room gets some bread. Um, but then also we give those, those donations to the Help and Hope Center. So they get those two days a week from us. But if you want, do you guys know where the Help and Hope Center is? If you go downtown by the Old Village Inn, which is now Los Santos, okay? So if you get Park Street and Wolfensburger, go north on Park Street, and the Help and Hope Center is about two blocks on the north side. You make donations in the back for food, or if you have old clothing, like you have an old, old coat, or you have some old clothes, or maybe there's something extra in your house that you're like, you know what, I'm not using this, and it sure would bless somebody else, load up the car with a bunch of stuff you don't use anymore and take it to the Help and Hope Center. You're like, well, I don't, can't give anything because I don't have any money. Well, don't worry about money. Do you have some stuff you don't use? Well, you've got an extra coat? Give that. It's a very New Testament thing to do. It's just to don't, don't worry about what you don't have. God's not asking you to give what you don't have, but he's asking you to be faithful with what you do have. And when he asks you to give, you just be obedient and give. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, wow, novel idea, right? Get outside of yourself. Stop thinking about you so much. Hmm, whoa, that sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? Well, yes, it does. And I, I'm guilty with, I'm an American just like you. I live in the same materialist culture, all the same temptations you have. And uh, it's been a crazy time, hasn't it? I think, at first I was like, oh no, we have to do the book of Revelation study during Christmas, during December. But you know what? It's been, it's been fine. And we're looking forward to having you guys on for an actual, real candles, candlelight Christmas Eve service at 5 o'clock on Christmas Eve. Hope you can make it for that. It's going to be a great time. And uh, we're doing a cookie exchange. So some of you have seen my annual, in fact, Al, you're asking to see this. I have a collection of my epic gingerbread creation. You pass this around. It's laminated so you guys can see my, my gingerbread creations. I do, do one every year. And this year I'm doing the Denver skyline in gingerbread. So we'll have that downstairs. And if you have a special family recipe on cookies you want to bring to the cookie exchange on Christmas Eve, bring it and we'll trade off cookies and, and bring your tins so you can go home with a bunch of cookies from your friends. And uh, we'll sing some Christmas carols. I have a very special Christmas Eve message that night. And that is also the offering that we do annually that sets our benevolent giving for the following year. 
So in addition to doing bread and encouraging people to give to the Salvation Army and Task Force, we also have grocery cards and gas cards for people who are in, in dire straits. And we keep those on hand if we get approached or called by people in the church because we do get lots of phone calls, people asking for assistance. And so we're very careful about how, how we do that and who we do that with and how much we do <laughs> because the need always exceeds, <laughs> right? It always exceeds our ability to give. But we do, if someone has a true need, we certainly want to be there for them. And so that's the Christmas spirit, right? That's what it's all about. It's about giving. It's about generosity. It's about looking for need, finding a need and meeting it. Because after, after all, the Holy Family came to Bethlehem and there was no room for them at the inn. But thank God the innkeeper at least let them use the garage, right? Come on, right? Didn't totally send them out in the cold. You get to be out there with the manger and the camels and all the, all the wild you know, animals. They at least weren't in the cold. We do our best. We do our best with what we have. And uh, this book of Revelation series has seemed more and more timely uh, with world events being what they are. How many of you guys saw this statue that they built in front of the UN building uh, this week on the news. Max, I have a picture of it. It's, it's perfectly a copy of the statue described in Daniel and in Revelation 13 that we studied last Sunday here at church. It's there. It looks like a, a tiger. It has the face of a lion. It has eagle's wings. And it, is that crazy? That's the actual full-on description of what the beast of, of Revelation is supposed to look like. That's crazy, and I, I did research on it. You know, supposedly this art, artist and his wife from uh, Mexico were doing a whole display for the Dia de los Muertos, which is the Day of the Dead. But the UN says this is not about the Day of the Dead. They actually tweeted something out about it. That here's what here's what they said. Uh, a, a blogger said this: one of the many strangest statues I've ever seen in my in my completely in my life has simply. Uh, been put outdoors in front of the UN headquarters in New York in the metropolis. Uh, first, I once heard about this. It may be harder to hardly consider that the worldwide elite could be so brazen. So I checked into it very rigorously. Sadly, this isn't only a dangerous rumor. This totally gigantic statue is referred to as the guardian of worldwide peace and safety. <laughs> and it appears like one thing out of a science fiction film. It doesn't resemble any recognized creature on this planet. As an alternative, it seems to be very intently re to resemble the beast that is described in the book of Revelation. When you have not seen it, but you haven't been able to see the, vo the video footage of the, of, the, of the beast, you should check it out online. And they actually put this thing up. They, they thought they could actually put this up without anybody noticing. <laughs> So he happened to do some research and Google information about this. You can see it online. And this, they're calling it the guardian of peace and safety. Well, all you have to do is look at the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3. And in fact, let's do that real quick. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 3. This statue, and I don't even think these people know that they're doing it. Um, if you've read any of um, Jonathan Kahn's work in The Harbinger, a lot of these things are being fulfilled without the people who are fulfilling them knowing that they're fulfilling prophecy. So, First Thessalonians, anybody have it? First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3. Al, just read it real loud where you are. When people are saying everything is peaceful, it's secure, 
then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. Isn't that something? When they say peace and safety, look out, disaster is right around the corner. What are they called? What's the UN calling this? The guardian of peace and safety. They're putting out the welcome mat for the Antichrist at the UN. It's like, open the door. All you got to do, the welcome mat is out. Isn't that crazy? You go, that is a full, that's got to be some kind of fulfillment of what the, what the epistles were writing to us in warning. We, man, the signs of the times are coming on us quicker and quicker. The time is short for us to share the, li the life and the love and the truth of Jesus. Amen, somebody? Amen. What I know about the spiritual realm is that wherever, wherever the Spirit is welcomed, the Spirit comes in. That's when we welcome Jesus, He comes in. When we say, come Holy Spirit, He comes in. When you say, come on devil, come on in, do you think he goes, oh no, it's not my time yet. I know enough about the devil that if you make room for the devil, he will fill the gap, he'll fill the space. Spirits go where they're invited. <laughs> you go, pastor, this is crazy. Why are you talking like this? This really freaks me out. It freaks me out too, okay? But it's real. <laughs> but it's real. This has actually happened. You could fly to New York and see the statue today. It's a permanent art installation at the UN Square. Are you awake yet? <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy, right? So we're in this study of Revelation, and you can chew on that one for a little bit. It really disturbed me when I first saw it. I'm like, this is nuts. And you can read, read Revelation 13. Read that description. It's, it's, it's peace for peace, everything written in there. Well, we've been doing explainer videos because the book of Revelation needs some explanation, right? We need, you know, like, what am I reading? When you read the book of Revelation, you're like, this is nuts. It's, you feel like you're reading someone else's acid trip, like someone's a tripping on mushrooms and they're telling you what they're seeing. You're like, huh, what, huh, what? And that's what it feels like reading the book of Revelation. You're like, oh, this is, are you sure this guy wasn't just tripping when he wrote this? Goes, but no, actually, he's echoing what Daniel said. He's echoing what Ezekiel said. He echoes what Isaiah and Jeremiah said. He, he's, he is not drunk or high or tripping on something. He's getting a, a very vision of the end times and what to expect in the last days. And who would have ever thought we'd see that? Right? So, never say never. Never think, oh, it's just a book of fairy tales. Oh, it'll never happen here. I'll never see that with my eyes. I'm looking at it right now. Who knows what else we might see in the days ahead? I don't know, and neither do you. But we are, today and next Sunday, we're wrapping up this Revelation study. We're starting today in Revelation 14. And this, there's a great ministry online called The Bible Project. If you haven't seen them online, they've got apps, they've got resources, they've got study guides, they have online uh, Bible studies, they, they help uh, parents teach how to, how to read the Bible to their children. And they've done this ex main, amazing explainer video on the second half of Revelation. I showed you the first half a couple weeks ago. Now you're going to see the conclusion. You're going to see the final half. And it's a little long, but just hang in there with us because it gets really good and you don't want to miss any information here in, in this explainer video. So Max, go ahead and play the Bible Project Revelation Explainer Part 2.
churches in Asia Minor to challenge and comfort these Christians who were suffering from apathy and persecution under the Roman Empire. We also encounter John's main symbol for Jesus, the slain lamb, who conquered his enemies by dying for them. He is the one who opens up the scroll containing God's purposes to bring his kingdom on earth as in heaven. The scroll's opening brought warning judgments like the plagues of Egypt, and like Pharaoh, the nations do not repent. And then John introduced the multi-ethnic army of the Lamb, and the open scroll revealed their strange mission. It's to follow the Lamb by bearing witness to God's justice and mercy before the beastly nations, even if it kills them. And they will conquer the beast by laying down their lives just like the lamb. And this will move the nations to repentance. In the remainder of the book, John will fill out his portrayal of this beast and his war on God's people and how the whole story ends. After the seven trumpets, John stops the drumbeat of sevens with a series of visions that he calls signs. The word literally means symbols, and these chapters are full of them. These visions explore the message of the open scroll in greater depth. The first one reveals the cosmic spiritual battle that lay behind the suffering of the seven churches under Roman persecution. It's a manifestation of that ancient conflict that began in Genesis chapter 3. The serpent, who represents the source of all evil, is depicted here as a dragon. It attacks a woman and her seed, they represent the Messiah and his people. Then the Messiah defeats the dragon through his death and resurrection, and it's cast to earth. There, the dragon inspires hatred and persecution of the Messiah's people. But they will conquer the dragon by resisting his influence, even if it kills them. John's trying to show the churches that neither Rome nor any other nation or human is the real enemy. There are dark spiritual powers at work, and Jesus' followers will announce Jesus' victory by remaining faithful and loving their enemies, just like the slain lamb. John's next vision retells the story of the same conflict, but this time in the earthly symbolism of Daniel's animal visions. John sees two beasts empowered by the dragon. One of them represents national military power that conquers through violence. The other beast symbolizes the economic propaganda machine that exalts this power as divine. And these beasts demand full allegiance from the nations, and that's symbolized by taking the mark of the beast and his number, 666, on the forehead or hand. Now, this is an infamous image, and you won't discover its meaning by reading news headlines. John's making a clear Hebrew Old Testament reference here. First of all, this mark is the anti-Shema. The writing on the forehead and hand, it's a clear reference to the Shema, an ancient Jewish prayer of allegiance to God that's found in the book of Deuteronomy. This prayer also was written on the forehead and hand as a symbol of devoting all your thoughts and actions to the one true God. But now the rebellious nations demand their own allegiance and they force everyone to decide who they will follow. Then there's the number of the beast, which has fascinated readers for thousands of years. But this was not a mystery to John. He spoke Hebrew and Greek, and Hebrew letters were also numbers. If you spell the Greek words Nero Caesar and the word beast in Hebrew, each one amounts to 666. Now, John isn't saying that Nero was the only fulfillment of this vision. Nero is just a recent example of the ancient pattern set out by Daniel, that the nations become beasts when they exalt their own power and economic security as a false god and then demand total allegiance. So Babylon was the beast in Daniel's day, but that was followed by Persia, followed by Greece, and now Rome in John's day. And so it goes for any later nation that acts in the same way. Standing opposed to the beastly nations and the dragon is another king. It's the slain lamb. 
He's with his army, who have given their lives to follow him. And from the new Jerusalem, their song of victory goes out to the nations in what John calls the eternal gospel. And they call everyone to repent and to worship God and to come out of Babylon that will fall, its days are numbered. Then John sees a vision of final judgment. It's symbolized by two harvests. One is a good harvest of grain, as King Jesus comes to gather up his faithful people to himself. The other is a harvest of wine grapes. It represents humanity's intoxication with evil. They're taken to the wine press and trampled. Now, throughout all these sign visions, John is placing a stark choice before the seven churches. Will they resist the lure of Babylon and follow the Lamb? Or will they follow the beast and suffer its defeat? Now that the choice is clear, John replays a final cycle of seven divine judgments, symbolized as pouring out seven bowls. Now we know from the Lamb's scroll and from the sign visions that many among the nations do repent. But as the Exodus plagues are repeated and poured out through the bowls, there are many people who do not repent. They resist and curse God, just like Pharaoh. And so it all leads up to the sixth bowl, as the dragon and the beast, they gather the nations together to make war against God's people in a place called Armageddon. This refers to a plain in northern Israel where many battles were fought by Israel against invading nations. And some people think that this sixth bowl refers to an actual future battle. Other people think that it's a metaphor for God's final justice on evil. Either way, John's clearly taken images from the book of Ezekiel about God's battle with Gog. God was Ezekiel's symbol of the rebellious nations gathered before God to face his justice. And that's what comes in the seventh bowl. It's the fourth and final depiction of the day of the Lord when evil is defeated among the nations once and for all. Now, John has fully unpacked the message of the Lamb's unsealed scroll. And now he goes back to expand on three key themes that he's introduced earlier. The fall of Babylon, the final battle to defeat evil, and the arrival of the new Jerusalem. And each one of these explores the final coming of God's kingdom from a different angle. So first, the fall of Babylon. An angel shows John a stunning woman who's dressed like a queen, but she's drunk with the blood of the martyrs and of all innocent people. She's riding the dragon beast from the sign visions. It's a symbol of the rebellious nations. And she's called Babylon, the prostitute. Now, the detailed symbols of this vision, they would be very clear to John's first readers. He's personifying the military and economic power of the Roman Empire, but he's also doing more. In this vision, John has blended together words and images from every single Old Testament passage about the downfall of ancient Babylon, Tyre, and Edom. John's showing how Rome is simply the newest version of the Old Testament archetype of humanity in rebellion against God. They come together and form nations that exalt their own economic and military security into a false god. This isn't something limited to the past or the future. It's a portrait of the human condition throughout history. And Babylon's will come and go, leading up to the day when Jesus returns to replace Babylon with his kingdom. But how will Jesus' kingdom come? Up to this point, the day of the Lord has been depicted as a day of fire or earthquake or harvest. And now it's depicted as a final battle, and it's told twice. It results in the vindication of the martyrs. Now John takes us back to the sixth bowl, where the nations were gathered together to oppose God. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears. He's the great hero. He's the word of God, riding on a white horse, and he's ready to conquer the world's evil. But pay attention. He's covered with blood before the battle even begins, and that's because it's his own. And his only weapon is the sword of his mouth. It's an image adapted from Isaiah. 
John's telling us that Armageddon will not be a bloodbath. Rather, the same Jesus who shed his own blood for his enemies now comes proclaiming justice. He will hold accountable those who refuse to repent of the ways that they participate in the ruin of God's good world. And the destructive hellfire that they've unleashed in God's world justly becomes their own God-appointed destiny. After this, John sees a vision of Jesus' followers who have been murdered by Babylon, and they're brought back to life and they reign with the Messiah for 1,000 years. Then after this, the dragon who inspired humanity's rebellion against God rallies the nations of the world together to rebel against God's kingdom. But before God's throne of justice, they all face the consequences of eternal defeat. And so the forces of spiritual evil and everyone who doesn't want to participate in God's kingdom are destroyed. They're given what they want, to exist by themselves and for themselves. And so the dragon and Babylon and all who choose them are eternally quarantined, never again able to corrupt God's new creation. Now, there's a lot of debate about the relationship of the 1,000 years to these two battles. There are some who think it refers to a literal chronological sequence. Jesus' return, followed by a thousand-year kingdom on earth called the millennium, followed by God's final judgment. Other people think that the thousand years are a symbol of Jesus' and the martyrs' present victory over spiritual evil, and that the two battles depict Jesus' future return from two different angles. Whichever view you take, the main point is clear. When Jesus returns as king, he will deal with evil forever, and he'll vindicate those who have been faithful to him. The book concludes with the final vision of the marriage of heaven and earth. An angel shows John a stunning bride that symbolizes the new creation that has come forever to join God and his covenant people. God announces that he's come to live with humanity forever and that he's making all things new. John's vision here is the kaleidoscope of Old Testament promises. This place is a new heavens and earth, a restored creation that's healed of the pain and evil of human history. It's also a new garden of Eden, the paradise of eternal life with God. But it's not simply a return back to the garden, it's a step forward into a new Jerusalem, a great city where human cultures and all their diversity work together in peace and harmony before God. And in the most surprising twist of all, there's no temple building in the new creation, because the presence of God and the land that were once limited to the temple now permeate every square inch of the new world. And there's a new humanity there, fulfilling the calling placed on them all the way back on page one of the Bible to rule as God's image, to partner together with God in taking this creation into new and uncharted territory. And so ends John's apocalypse and the epic storyline of the whole Bible. John did not write this book as a secret code for you to decipher the timetable of Jesus' return. It's a symbolic vision that brought hope and challenge to the seven first century churches and every generation of Christians since. It reveals history's pattern and God's promise that every human kingdom eventually becomes Babylon and must be resisted in the power of the slain land. But there's a promise that Jesus, who loved and died for this world, will not let Babylon go unchecked. He will return one day to remove evil from his good world and make all things new. And that is a promise that should motivate faithfulness in every generation of God's people until the king returns. That's what the book of Revelation is all about. Easy enough for you to say. <laughs> right? Wow. Well, we're going to get into it. I'm going to read Revelation 14.1. Then I saw the Lamb standing on Mount Zion with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of a mighty ocean waves. 
and the rolling of loud thunder. It was like the sound of many harpists playing together. This great choir sang a wonderful new song in front of the throne of God before the four living beings and the 24 elders. And no one could learn this song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. They have kept themselves as pure as virgins, following the lamb wherever he goes. They have been purchased from among the people on earth as a special offering to God, to the lamb. They have told no lies and they are without blame. Then I saw another angel flying through the sky, carrying the eternal good news to proclaim to the people who belong to this world, to every nation, tribe, and language, and people. Fear God, he shouted. Give glory to him, for the time has come when he will sit as judge. Worship him who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all the springs of water. And then another, another angel followed him through the sky, shouting, Babylon has fallen. That great city has fallen because she has made all the nations of the world drink the wine of her passionate immorality. Then a third angel followed them, shouting, anyone who worships the beast and his statue or who accepts his mark on their forehead or their hand must drink the wine of God's anger. It has been poured into full strength into God's cup of wrath, and they will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever, and they will have no relief day or night. And they have worshipped the beast and his statue and have accepted the mark of his name. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently, obeying his commands and maintaining their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this down. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit, they are blessed indeed, for they will rest from their hard work, for their good deeds follow them. The harvest of the earth. And then I saw a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was someone like the Son of Man. He had a gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came from the temple and shouted to the one sitting on the cloud, Swing the sickle, for the time of harvest has come. The crop of the earth is ripe. So the one sitting on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the whole earth was harvested. And after that, another angel came from the temple of God, O heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. Then another angel who had power to destroy the, with fire came from the altar and he shouted to the angel with the sharp sickle, swing your sickle now to gather the clusters of grapes from the vines of the earth for they are ripe for judgment. So the angel swung his sickle over the earth and loaded the grapes into the great winepress of God's wrath and the grapes were trampled in the winepress outside the city and the blood flowed from the winepress in a stream about 180 miles long and as high as the horse's bridle. Ask Maria to come and read chapter 15. Let's hear from Maria. Let's give her some encouragement. Put you right here. If you want to read mine, you can. Hi, everyone. God bless everybody. Then I saw in heaven another marvelous event of great significance. Seven angels were holding the seven last plagues which would bring God's wrath in completion. I saw before me what seemed to be a glass sea mixture with fire. And on it stood all the people who had been victorious over the beast and his statue, and the number representing his name. They were all holding harps that God had given them. And they were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, 
O King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, and all nations will come and worship before you, for your righteousness deeds have been revealed. Then I looked and I saw that the temple in heaven's God's tabernacle was thrown wide open. The seven angels who were holding the seven plagues came out of the temple. They were clothed in spotless white linen with gold sashes across their chests. Then one of the four living beings handed each of the seven angels a gold bowl filled with the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from God's glory and power. No one could ever no one can enter the temple until the seven angels had completed pouring out the seven plagues. Amen. Thank you, Maria. Next, we're having Al read chapter 16. Good morning. Now we're going to find out what's in those bowls. Um, then I heard a mighty voice from the temple say to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out on the earth the seven bowls containing God's wrath. So the first angel left the temple and poured out his bowl on the earth, and horrible malignant sores broke out on everyone who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse and everything in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs, and they became blood. And I heard the angel who had authority over all water saying, You are just, O Holy One, who is and always was, because you have sent these judgments. Since they shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, you have given them blood to drink in their just reward. And I heard a voice from the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, your judgments are true and just. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, causing it to scorch everyone with its fire. Everyone was burned by this blast of heat, and they, caused the name, they cursed the name of God, who had control over these plagues, they did not repent of their sins and turn to God and give him glory. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. His subjects ground their teeth in anguish, and they cursed the God of heaven for their pains and sores, but they did not repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates River, and it dried up so that the kings from the east could march their armies towards the west without hindrance. And I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs leap from the mouths of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. They are demonic spirits who work miracles and go out to all the rulers of the world to gather them for battle against the Lord on that great judgment day of the God Almighty. I look, look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are all who are watching me. 
who keep their clothing ready so they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. And the demonic spirits gathered all the rulers and their armies to a place with the Hebrew name Armageddon. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a mighty shout came from the throne in the temple, saying, It is finished. Then the thunder crashed and rolled, and lightning flashed, and a great earthquake struck, the worst since people were placed on the earth. The great city of Babylon split into three sections, and the cities of many nations fell into heaps of rubble. So God remembered all of Babylon's sins, and he made her drink the cup that was filled with the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island disappeared, and all of the mountains were leveled. There was a terrible hailstorm. Hailstones weighing as much as 75 pounds fell from the sky onto the people below. They cursed God of the terrible plague of the hailstorm. Thanks, Al. Appreciate all the readers. Chapter 17, The Great Prostitute. One of the seven angels who had poured out the seven bowls came over and spoke to me. Come with me, he said, and I will show you the judgment that is going to come on the great prostitute who rules over many waters. The kings of the world have committed adultery with her, and the people who belong to this world have been made drunk by the wine of her immorality. So the angel took me in the spirit into the wilderness there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that had seven heads and ten horns, and blasphemies against God were written all over it. And the woman wore purple and scarlet clothing and beautiful jewelry made of gold and precious gems and pearls. And in her hand she held a golden goblet full of the obscenities and the impurities of her immorality. A mysterious name was written on her forehead, Babylon the Great, mother of all prostitutes and obscenities in the world. I could see that she was drunk, drunk with the blood of God's holy people who were witnesses of Je for Jesus. I stared at her in complete amazement. Why are you so amazed, the angel asked. I will tell you the mystery of this woman and of the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns on which she, she sits. The beast you saw was once alive but isn't now and yet will soon come up out of the bottomless pit and go to the eternal dis destruction. And the people who belong to this world, whose names were not written in the book of life before the world was made, will be amazed at the appearance of this beast who died. And uh, I'll just give a quick note here. Many people believe that this is a revived Roman Empire. This calls for a mind with understanding. The seven heads of the beast represent the seven hills where the woman rules. They also represent seven kings. The five kings have already fallen, the sixth now reigns, and the seventh is yet to come, but his reign will be brief. The scarlet beast that was, but is no longer, is the eighth king. He is like the other seven, and he too is headed for destruction. The ten horns of the beast are ten kings who have not risen to power. They will be appointed to their kingdoms for one brief moment to reign with the beast. They will all agree to give him their power and authority. Together they will go to war against the lamb, but the lamb will defeat them because he is Lord of all lords and king of all kings. And he is called the chosen and faithful one, the faithful ones to be with him. 
And the angel said to me, the waters where the prostitute is ruling represents masses of people of every nation and language. The scarlet beast and his 10 horns all hate the prostitute. They will strip her naked, eat her flesh and burn her remains with fire. For God has put a plan into their minds, a plan that will carry out his purposes. They will agree to give their authority to the scarlet beast. And so the words of God will be fulfilled. And this woman who you saw in your vision represents the great city that rules over the kings of the world. The woman in red, Mystery Babylon, just a few notes here. Um, Many people think that this could represent just the world system, as we saw in, in the explainer video. Um, some people think that the, that the false church could represent false religion is one part and the evil systems of this world, e- evil political systems of this world. What's amazing to me is the atheistic governments of this world are communists. And what is the color of communism? Red. It's always red. It's scarlet, right? Um, some would say the, the, the backslidden church or those who are maybe of a Roman Catholic church faith but not really true believers that that false church those who are only worshiping God as a religion not in a relationship that what's the color of of Rome it's always red it's always red interesting right final chapter I know that you can only you can only take so much I can only take so much chapter 18 the fall of Babylon and after all this I saw another angel come down from heaven with great authority and the earth grew bright with the splendor and it gave a mighty voice a mighty shout, Babylon has fallen, the great city has fallen. She's become a home for demons. She is a hideout for every soul, foul spirit, a hideout for every foul vulture, every foul and dreadful animal, for all the nations have fallen because of the wine of her passionate immorality. The kings of the world have committed adultery with her because of her desires for extravagant luxury. The merchants of the world have grown rich. And then I heard another voice calling from heaven, come away from her, my people. Do not take part in her sins or you will be punished with her for her sins are piled as high as heaven and God remembers her evil deeds. Do to her as she has done to others, double her penalty for all her evil deeds. She brewed a cup of terror for others so brew twice as much for her. She glorified herself and lived in luxury so match it now with torment and sorrow. She boasted in her heart, I am a queen on my throne. I am no helpless widow and I have no reason to mourn. Therefore, these plagues will overtake her in a single day. Death and mourning and famine, she will be completely consumed by fire, for the Lord God who judges her is mighty. And the kings of the world who commit adultery, committed adultery with her and enjoyed her great luxury will mourn for her as they see the smoke rising from her charred remains. They will stand at a distance, terrified by her great torment. They will cry out, how terrible, how terrible for you, O Babylon, you great city. In a single moment, God, God's judgment came on you. The merchants of the world will weep and mourn for her. There is no one left to buy their goods. She bought great quantities of gold, silver, jewels, and pearls, fine linen, purple silk, and scarlet cloth, things made of fragrant thion wood, ivory goods, objects made of expensive wood and bronze, iron and marble. She also bought cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, olive oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, wagons, and bodies, that is, human slaves. The fancy things that you love so much are are gone, they cry. All your luxuries and splendor are gone forever, never to be yours again. 
The merchants who became wealthy by selling her these things will stand at a distance, terrified by her great torment. They will weep and cry out, how terrible, how terrible for that great city. She was clothed in finest purple and scarlet linens, decked out with gold and precious stones and pearls. In a single moment, all the wealth of the city is gone. And all the captains of the merchant ships and all the passengers and sailors and crews will stand at a distance. They will cry out as they watch the smoke ascend and they will say, where is another city as great as this? And they will weep and throw dust on their heads and show their grief. And they will cry out, how terrible, how terrible for that great city. The ship owners became wealthy by transporting their great wealth on the seas. In a single moment, it's all gone. Rejoice over her fate, O heaven, and people of God, and apostles and prophets. For at last, God has judged her for your sakes. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a huge millstone, and he threw it into the ocean and shouted. And just recall back to Nebuchadnezzar's vision in the book of Daniel. Okay, this is a echo. Just like this, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down with violence and will never be found again. The sound of harps, singers, flutes, and trumpets will never be heard in you again. No craftsmen, no trades will ever be found in you again. The sound of the mill will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The happy voices of brides and grooms will never be heard in you again. For your merchants were the greatest of the world. And you deceived the nations with your sorceries. In your streets flowed the blood of the prophets and of God's holy people and of the blood of people slaughtered all over the world. That's about all I can take for a day, don't you? It's like, yeah, fearful times. But the good news is we're getting near the end. And it gets really, really, really good. At the very end, I want to read about what is so precious about Jesus' blood. We're talking about a time of blood, terrible blood shed. And mankind's blood is stained with guilt and sin and every kind of evil. We're, all of us in this room are human beings born into sin, born with a sin nature. And there's no hope for us without the blood of Jesus, his perfect blood. I want to read Hebrews 9.22, speaking of how does Jesus do this with his blood? In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That is why the tabernacle and everything in it, which were copies of things in heaven, had to be purified by the blood of animals. But the real thing in heaven to be purified with far better sacrifices than the blood of animals. For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. And he did not enter into heaven to offer himself again and again like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. 
And just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. Do you believe? You put your trust in Christ. Guess what? <laughs> He's your only hope. <laughs> He's my only hope. Without Jesus, there is no hope. But it's his blood that is made away, not by, by any kind of sacrifice or any kind of religious activity, simply by putting my faithful trust into him and letting him pay my sins on my behalf and adopting me into his family. I don't deserve it, and neither do you. <laughs> That's why I was so overwhelmed singing that Amazing Grace song today, because it just washed over me again. Amazing. <laughs> it's truly amazing. When Jesus comes back, he's not coming back for people who think they're perfect. He's coming back for people who know that they're not. He's coming back for people who say, God, I need you. <laughs> Lord, fill me. Lord, cover me in your blood. And it's his perfect blood atoning sacrifice once for all time that makes a way for you to get to heaven. It's not through good behavior. It's not through good works. It's not through religion. It's a faithful, faith-filled trust completely on Jesus. And if it's through that amazing grace, guess what? It's only gonna continue through the grace if you entered through grace, you're not going to continue on in works. If you enter through grace, you're going to maintain through grace and by grace. It's not going to be because I'm a really good disciple. I'm really faithful. Boy, God, you really got to be impressed with me. I've read a lot of Bible, God. Aren't you impressed? No. <laughs> He's not impressed. And we're not... It's not, a, it's not a contest to see who can be impressing God the most anyways. <laughs> he says, don't you realize? I already love you. You're already accepted. <laughs> Just come to me. Stop trying to prove something. I've done it all. Just receive. Whew, that's hard for us though, isn't it? It's even hard for us after we're Christians. Because they're like, come on, God, I just want to kind of show you that I'm a good person, that I really deserve your love. <laughs> How sad would it be if my kids kept on going, Dad, I, I, I know you say you love me, but I just don't believe it. I just don't deserve it, Dad. Just don't, don't say you love me. I, I don't deserve your love. I'd be like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Need to take you to the shrink? Are you okay? What's wrong? No, no, I love you, and there's nothing you can do to change that. Period. The end. You're my kid, you're my son, you're my daughter. You're in. Stop it. I'll never stop loving you. How many parents do you know what I'm talking about? Even if your kid became a serial killer, you'd visit him in the prison, right? You'd never stop loving them. Now, you might call the cops on them to get them, you know, to protect them from themselves. Right? Do something. Come on, parents, right? That's how God loves us. Well, maybe you're watching or listening or in the room here today and you're like, this is fearful. This is crazy. This is scary. I'm sorry. I didn't write it. Okay. I didn't write it. It's the book that's been given to us. But I know the answer. 
I know the one who gave it to us. And I know what he says about himself. He says, come to me and live. Come to me. Maybe you need to do that today. It's not going to be because of religion. It's going to be because of a relationship, because of grace that you're saved through faith. This not of yourselves. It's a gift from God. If you need to give your life to Jesus here today, there's a simple prayer to pray. Would you, church, pray it out loud for those who might be praying it online especially? Or maybe in the room. You, have, you haven't been living with Christ as the Lord of your life. Just pray this prayer. Say, Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe God raised you from the dead. According to the scriptures. Please come into my heart. Take control of my life. Be my Lord. And be my Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Tim has mentioned it several times here today, and I want to mention it too. Just get a copy of God's Word. Start reading the Bible. You're not going to know what's in it if you don't read it. <laughs> and how can God speak to you if you're not listening? That's what Christians need to do once they've said yes to Jesus, is don't live at a distance from God. Draw near. Come close to God. And when you come close to Him, He's going to come close to you. And He's going to reveal more of Himself to you. So I'm glad that you come here today. I know I went a little long today, but it's, we're getting near the end and there's a lot of content. So uh, there's some great Bible study helps. I encourage you to, to, to study this stuff for yourself. Do your own research. Make sure that what you're researching and seeing online is Bible-based. There's a lot of bad information out there about the book of Revelation. So um, keep those rules of hermeneutics in mind. There's no secret code passages. The Bible means what it says. There's a plain interpretation. The Bible interprets the Bible. And, and God's never trying to trick people. Okay, God is never trying to trick you. He's always trying to give you the truth in a plain way that you can easily understand. So why don't you stand with me and uh, I'll give you the, the final blessing. Lord, we thank you for the advent. We thank you that you came to the earth. This Christmas season, Lord, bless us and make us a blessing. Help us, Lord. Guide us to people that need encouragement guide us to people who that we could just bless and do good things for even if it's just something as simple as a smile or a hello now may the lord bless you and keep you may the lord make his face to shine upon you may the lord be gracious unto you lift your countenance and give you his peace in jesus name amen amen go in peace serve the lord everybody if you want to be a, a partner in the ministry you can hit the offering box in the back or hit the donate button online god bless you guys have a great week we'll see many of you next week and make those plans to join us for christmas eve thank you so much for tuning in today to the ministry of summit church and the daily outreach of wayne hansen you can support our ministry in many ways Click the donate button on our Facebook page, Summit Church of Castle Rock. Visit our webpage, mysummitchurch.com, and click the online giving link. Or mail your donation to Summit Church of Castle Rock, 200 South Wilcox Street, Box 243, Castle Rock, Colorado, 80104. Or finally, text your gift to 303-625-9434 and follow the prompts using your smartphone. You can also support us by connecting with our online community. Comment, like, share, follow, and subscribe on our various social media channels. Of course, we appreciate you joining us in daily prayer. I'm Sean Rima, and on behalf of Pastor Wayne and the Summit Church family, 
Take care and have a great week. Remember, God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life.